oftentimes we, and myself too, will get stuck in our mind, we're stuck in our head. And there are actually herbs that help calm the mind. They still the mind, but they're not just calming and stilling the mind. They're really calming and stilling the nervous system within the whole body. And they're soothing the body and helping us generally get out of fight or flight and more into rest and repair. Right. And they also, many of them happen to be digestives. They, they're digestive tonics that also calm the belly. Because, you know, you, you're noticing as we get more and more into science of mind is that it, the gut and the mind is really very well connected. And there's neurons all throughout the gut that intricately and immediately respond to emotional disturbances in the mind and vice versa. So the whole body is full of neurons, webs of neurons. You must be some kind of therapist. I am some kind of therapist, and I'm about to take you on a journey through the inner wilderness. I've invited brilliant guests from all walks of life to join me as we investigate, illuminate, and inspire transformation in ourselves, intimate relationships, and the social ecosystems we are constellated in. What you are about to hear may surprise you, so hang on to your earbuds for a hefty dose of sanity in a chaotic world. I am Stephanie Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist, branching out and building bridges between psychology and everything else under the sun. It's my honor to have you along for the ride. Let's get started. Today, I'm speaking with some dear old friends, DJ and Jenny Enkenbrandt. They are classical Chinese tonic herbalists and founders of Chintamani Tonics. Uh, We've known each other for a long time, and they are a happily married couple, so this is kind of a delight for me to be able to talk to Deej and Jen today. Um, In addition to this, it's also our first time really getting into holistic health stuff. Now, I know this is controversial amongst my listeners because many of my listeners are sort of in the anti-woke crowd and sometimes have a bit of a reflexive anti-woke reaction (laughs) to the point of sometimes wholeheartedly unquestioningly rejecting anything that reeks of anything left coast liberal. (laughs) And to them, I want to say, maybe this episode isn't for you, but maybe you just might learn something. So stick around because Deej and Jen are health pioneers who really know their stuff when it comes to uh, what tonic herbalism can do for the health of the mind and body. Now, before we get into that, of course, I have to put some disclaimers up front. I'm not a doctor. Deej and Jen are also not doctors, and this is not medical advice. If you need medical advice, please talk to a qualified professional who can work with you individually. That being said, I'm talking to people who know their stuff and who help other people with their health within their scope of practice, and so we're just going to see what it is we can learn today. Deej and Jen, so glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much, Stephanie. We're truly honored to be here with you. This is a joy, and it's so fun to get to share this with someone who we've known for so long. This is really lovely. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to see you again. It's been ages. <laughs> so you guys are fun people. Uh, one of one of my memories of you um, is, uh, I believe, wild harvesting some obscure uh, herbal medicine with a group of friends. Um, I know you guys are also mushroom foragers. Mm-hmm. You you make your own herbal tonics, and you really enjoy having that connection with the natural world. I, I think this is something from what I know that you've both been kind of doing your whole adult lives. Is that right? hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Jen and I both were independently interested in herbalism and 
uh, mycology. Jen is really knowledgeable about mycology. And the first time I got out wild harvesting uh, porcinis in the New Mexico mountains was with her. And uh, we've actually gotten to share many amazing uh, mushroom wildcrafting experiences together. We've harvested them all over Oregon, Alabama, New Mexico, and California. And we harvest wild reishi, Ganoderma oregonensis, the Oregon reishi, and Ganoderma aplanatum. Another, the artist conch reishi also grows there in Oregon. And we make pilgrimages to New Mexico every summer and harvest the porcinis or the bolites, Boletus edulis, which grows upon the ski mountains. And also Colorado, we harvest in Colorado too, where Jen's originally from. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we've been just deeply interested in what nature has to offer as far as food and then foods and herbs that, you know, can also be deeply nutritive and beneficial for, for us, you know, in the, in the moment and then going forward as far as um, promoting longevity and helping tonify the body and helping us maintain just a more balanced and, and healthier way of living. Talk to me about this concept of tonic herbalism. Yeah, sure. So tonic herbalism is a unique subset of herbalism. It's usually linked with Chinese, you know, ancient Chinese herbal medicine. It predates TCM. Um, it, it even predates Taoism, actually. They're, they were working with a lot of these primary tonic herbs before Taoism even came into being. But then when Taoism did start to get created, um, the herbalism then was intimately woven into Taoism and a lot of the ways that we classify the herbs and um, determine what aspect of the body or mind they will be beneficial for is connected to, um, you know, Taoist principles in a way. And so in order for an herb to have entered the tonic herb category, it, and there's not many of them, there's maybe 40 to 70 primary ones. A lot of them are from China, but some of them are also in India within the Ayurvedic tradition. So, you know, both China and, and India have the oldest herbal traditions in the world that we're aware of. And so that's one of the reasons why I felt drawn to it because they've been doing it for longer than anyone else that I know. And so there's just immense wisdom that's, that's found in those traditions. And so in order for it to have entered the tonic herb category, it must have been used for thousands of years and have been shown to be very safe and effective over that period of time and to have a cumulative beneficial effect on the body. And in a way, they're more like foods, nutritional foods, as opposed to medicinal herbs. They're not necessarily used for acute, well, while they can be used for acute things, they're not used for acute stuff generally. Like you would have certain medicinal herbs, you know, maybe uh, oregano or uh, yerba mansa, golden seal. There's some more super potent medicinal herbs that you're only really it's really only appropriate to take for shorter durations of time although tonic herbs are more like foods and that they can be taken generally every day or multiple times a week for a whole lifetime and they have what's called dual directional function where they will um, go in and and benefit various various organ systems maybe they will tonify the kidneys and help detoxify the liver while also enhancing oxygenation of the lungs and then simultaneously promoting enhanced cognition and promoting greater memory and um, more acute focus and just mental mental acuity. So they, they have uh, 
myriad of benefits just within one single herb. And then when they're combined appropriately with certain harmonizers and certain medicinal mushrooms, they can have a very broad benefit for the body where they foundationally nourish us. So it's kind of like just getting us the essential nutrients that our body needs to do what it naturally wants to do. And the body has immense healing capacity. So if we're giving ourselves those foundational building blocks that our body needs to repair itself and regenerate, we can more effectively heal ourselves on our own and then be empowered uh, through, through our own healthy lifestyle practices. I think what you're talking about points to the fact that we in our modern culture have this dualism between food and medicine. And if you walk into sort of the average American supermarket or drugstore, you see a bunch of highly processed foods that are sort of a burden to the body with a lot of ingredients that that you don't need, you know, um, like seed oils and refined carbs and um, artificial flavoring and stuff on the one hand. And then you have medicine on the completely other hand, um, and the medicine is very far from its original form. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that many pharmaceuticals do originally come from herbal sources. The active ingredients were identified in nature and then concentrated and, and made in laboratories. But you have this kind of dualism where there, there's, there are the things you put into your body for calories, and then there are the things you put into your body to correct the imbalances um, that might in many cases be caused by such a, a deficient and burdensome diet. Sure. Um, but you're, you're talking about this kind of more holistic way of moving through the world and all of these plants and, and fungi and other ingredients found in nature that are really potent in their nutrient density. Mm -hmm. And so that nutrient density could be a, a large concentration of certain vitamins and minerals um, but also flavonoids and um, sort of other compounds that nourish the body and also maybe tonify it in a particular direction. Mm -hmm. So an herb that's coming to mind for me right now as, as somebody who doesn't do what you do is um, licorice root. It's one of these really kind of commonly used ingredients in herbal medicine. I think you would call it a harmonizer, like it helps the um, impact of other herbs. And it's it's one that I have personal experience of because I take it every day for my low blood pressure. Nice. And for me, it's very clear that uh, I notice when I'm taking my six capsules of licorice root a day for a week, I wake up in the morning, my blood pressure is 120 over 80. Nice. If I'm down to taking one of these a day, I wake up in the morning, my blood pressure is 100 over 60. Wow. So there's kind of this direct impact that I'm seeing and I understand some of the mechanism behind it because licorice, as I understand, raises blood plasma. So it helps um, with people like me with low blood pressure, which is why it's also contraindicated for people with high blood mm -hmm. pressure. So to me, that makes sense. Licorice is kind of this gentle um, root that's found in nature. It has a flavor. You can drink it in tea. Um, it's, it's mild. It's not like a super potent medicine, but it also has this kind of overall impact on the body. Is it food or is it medicine? Is it indicated or contraindicated? If you have high blood pressure, it's contraindicated. So that's just an example that comes to mind for me. What are some of the sort of main tonic herbs that you find yourself focusing on in your practice? It's a great question. And um, there's a number of them that we use very regularly. And I would say the medicinal mushrooms are some of the ones at the top of the list, specifically reishi mushroom, Ganoderm elucidum, which you know, is it an herb or is it a mushroom? It, it still is in the tonic herb category. Um, and so reishi, I would say, probably 
number one, and it's been that way for me for 20, 20 years or so. We really have been getting deeply inspired by Tremella fucaformis, which is also known as snow fungus, which is another medicinal mushroom, um, generally found in China. And it's like a food, you know, a lot of these are food like, you know, just like lion's mane, which is an incredible tonic herb for the nervous system. It actually helps uh, stimulate NGF, the nerve growth factor. And it's one of the few tonic herbs that we know about that can help regenerate nerves, neurological pathways. And so it's really beneficial for the brain and um, cognition, for memory, and then just for the whole nervous system in general. It's an incredible tonic herb that we work with often as well. And it is a delicious food. Yeah, it's delicious so food. Snow fungus. Snow fungus is a really common edible in China. You see it all the time at all the little shops. They're selling it these little fluffy balls of dried mushroom, and it's in all the soups. And it's just something that over there, it's kind of like, well, this is just how we make soup. We use these mushrooms because they taste good, but they're also good for us. We're talking about tonic herbs, and we're talking about the medicinal mushrooms within the tonic herbal category, the ones that we use most frequently that we're you know, excited about and that we're finding are benefiting us and benefiting uh, all of our different clients. And, you know, I mentioned Tremella, Tremella fucaformis, the snow fungus we we're talking about. I'd have to say it's probably the most regenerative medicinal mushroom that we work with and that we've come in contact with. It's considered to be a beauty tonic. So it's really nourishing for the skin, um, for internally too. It, I consider it to be profoundly regenerative for the whole internal gut lining. And um, it's just nourishing. It's nourishing to, I feel like the fat content of the body, you know, so for for the brain too, it's really beneficial for the brain. Has hyaluronic acid as the active ingredient that has been studied in lots of different, you know, peer reviewed articles on hyaluronic acid. It's a common ingredient that has been extracted from snow fungus and then put into all sorts of different beauty creams and, you know, nutritional supplements you can buy for just just hyaluronic acid, but you can get it from snow fungus and you can get it from extracts of snow fungus, which I think is a great place to get it. Yeah. So we work with that a lot. Also, I absolutely love chaga, which chaga is relatively well known in the tonic herbal category. And we work with chaga. So all the medicinal mushrooms that we work with and that we formulate with are produced from fruiting body mushrooms. Oftentimes they're grown in the wild, usually wild crafted if they can be, or they're um, what's called semi-wild cultivated where the mushroom farmers will set it up kind of in in a forest setting with, you know, whether it is a hardwood mushroom or depending upon the substrate, they'll set it up. So it's just within a natural environment doing what it naturally would do. um, And the beneficial compounds that can be accessed through Uh, growing in its natural environment generally are greater than what could be found in some like sterilized lab setting. Um, But I love chaga so much because to me, it's one of the most anti-inflammatory medicinal mushrooms that I know about and that we work with. It's super protective for the body. If you know Cliff High at all, he's on Twitter. He's he's a computer scientist, really knowledgeable guy. He's always talking about chaga, um, specifically in regards to COVID because of the way that it tonifies the immune system and, and just strengthens the body's defenses, helps people um, uh, be less less likely to succumb to things, you know, various viral issues and challenges, which is yeah, cool. Yeah, what's super cool about mushrooms, a lot of these tonic mushrooms is that they're actually immune modulators. They're not just going to stimulate the immune system to just be on 
full fire in the same way that certain herbs will. And they're not going to, you know, depress the immune system in the way some other herbs do for autoimmune diseases. You actually need to depress the overimmune and overactive immune system. So um, some of these mushrooms are, they're basically like intelligence for the cell. It helps the cell identify what kind of imbalance needs to be dealt with. And then it has these awesome raw materials with which to combat inflammation or crank up the immune system or dial back the immune system. So they're kind of like, I like to think of it as like intelligent foods. <laughs> they like teach the body and they give the body the most intelligent phytonutrients that they need to be able to accomplish the highest aspects of what that cell can, can offer. So they keep the cells lively basically creating homeostasis in the body. That's in many ways what it does. It helps balance and create homeostasis. And a lot of these medicinal mushrooms, whether it's reishi, lion's mane, cordyceps, chaga, turkey tail specifically, we use turkey tail all the time because it's such a potent antiviral. It's probably the strongest antiviral medicinal mushroom. And because of that, it's actually kind of hard to get right now. China, um, they're like oh, always out of stock. You know, well, Everyone's taking it in larger amounts now, especially because of the past two to three years in regards to COVID concern, viral concerns. And so it's actually pretty hard to get. Um, so what, what these different medicinal mushrooms do, and one of the reasons why a lot of our clients will work with them preventatively for various cancer concerns, whether they're in remission or whether they're in the process of getting to remission, um, it activates the killer T cells in the body. So these, uh, they're called poly polysaccharides are some of the main compounds in medicinal mushrooms and they're long chain sugars. And, you know, within these long chain sugars, there's, there's compounds that help activate the killer T cells and they get them online more quickly. So our body's defenses can actively find whether it's viral stuff, whether it's mutated cells, um, whatever is toxic and poisonous and does not need to be there it will find them more efficiently and then clear them from the body more effectively. And as long as people have um, a strong immune response and, and good immunity and their elimination pathways are working effectively and their body is able to clear out poisons and toxins, which we're surrounded by. We're in this soup of toxicity all the time. Um, so as long as the body can clear it effectively, then people uh, are less likely to have to deal with excessive growths of various cells. Um, so that's kind of how we look at it in regards to cancer concerns. It helps, the way we talk about it is create cellular integrity. They help us maintain, create and maintain cellular integrity. I'd like to understand the mechanism of action, especially for the skeptics who are hearing all this saying, well, sounds great, but sounds too good to be true. Mushrooms are really having their heyday right now. There's been a lot of interest, of course, in psychedelic assisted therapy, but also there are, there are a lot of sort of mushroom superfood adaptogen products out there. And I know you guys are obviously big proponents of those and you have direct experience knowing how to harvest and forage. Um, so you, you mentioned something about polysaccharides and killer T cells. Um, help us understand, I'm sure there are several pathways depending on which tonic herb or fungi we're talking about, but what are some common kind of mechanisms of action by which these um, tonic herbs are able to accomplish these functions in the body? Right. Sure. Yeah. So for people that are wanting to, you know, do more research and um, dive into the research that has been done, you know, just 
don't have to look that far, fortunately. Within China, within Korea, um, Cambodia, basically southeastern China, and in India too, but specifically with medicinal mushrooms in southeastern China, um, there's extensive laboratory research, there's extensive hospital case studies um, over the past 30 to 40 years. And I mean, in China, turkey tail is used therapeutically as a cancer therapy in hospitals. Um, it's covered by insurance mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in, and, in Japan. Yeah. yeah it has been for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. So there is actually a lot of studies that you can find, uh, peer-reviewed studies on PubMed, specifically about polysaccharide peptide, which is what they call it over there, PSP or PSK. And this is a, a polysaccharide specifically that's been isolated from turkey tail. So in the same way that, you know, we isolated aspirin from willow bark, we isolated, uh, you know, any a curcumin from turmeric or something like that. This is the active ingredient that is in turkey tail. So they've isolated it, they've amplified it, they've made a, a drug basically out of it. But it's really just concentrated polysaccharides from turkey tail, which is pretty much essentially what we sell as well. We sell um, concentrated polysaccharide-rich hot water and um, ethanol extract of turkey tail. So that's pretty much what they're doing the research on is something that's pretty comparable to what we offer. And they're finding that it, by having this polysaccharide along with cancer treatment, or even in situations where people aren't getting cancer treatment, this polysaccharide itself is a key ingredient that will help basically the killer T cells go to work. Uh, There's a lot of science behind it what the actual mechanism is. I'm not sure if you can elaborate on all that. It's a combination of the polysaccharides that are contained in medicinal mushrooms and also the triterpenes. Triterpenes are another essential component. And triterpenes or triterpenes, as some people would say, are generally uh, alcohol-soluble. So one of the reasons why we work with dual extracts is because they have a greater efficacy and they produce more potent and beneficial results. And um, so it's usually... To access the beneficial compounds of medicinal mushrooms, they need to be cooked in some way. Um, they're they're kind of woody. You can't really chew them. You can't eat them and digest them. They have to be cooked, and you have to extract all those beneficial compounds. So um, we do it's called a hydroethanolic dual extract. So it's the water-soluble constituents and then also the alcohol-soluble constituents, and then they evaporate the solvents, which is just pure ethanol and pure water, and then what's left over is just a concentrated instant tea powder, basically, and they're generally standardized to 30% to 40% polysaccharide, depending upon the process and the specific medicinal mushroom. Um, But one of the main things that's required is the triterpene, a high concentration of triterpenes, and then a high concentration of polysaccharides from the, the hot water extraction. And so what they have done in Cambodia and throughout China, Cambodia, they do it specifically with the mushroom, it's called um, mesima. Um, it's called Felinus igniarius and Felinus linteus, and Mesema is highly revered there. And, you know, reishi and turkey tail and um, cordyceps and chaga, they have similar benefits, similar compounds. They all have slight variations. Some may be more anti-inflammatory than others. Some may have higher concentrations of triterpenes than others. But with Mesema, they, what they do is they take those extracts and they do an... Um, basically like a plate. I'm forgetting the name. I want to say in vitro, but it's not. Um, they, they, inoculate a they inoculate a plate with whatever the cancer thing is. 
they're finding it's like 94 to 96% inhibition of cancer cells in those plate studies. Um, what do they call those little plates? Those, those little, those they little take gel. an isolated agar plate. And yeah, there you go. They the agar inoculate plates. it with a cancer cell and let that cancer cell just grow unchecked. And then they introduce a polysaccharide peptide and watch it just kill it, yeah. essentially. 94 <laughs> to 96, sometimes 97% inhibition of like sarcoma, lymphoma. Which it really this. just is what it's doing is it's, it's the intelligence of the cell that gets turned on, basically. So we have these you know epigenetic factors within our lives that our body is constantly wanting to do this healing thing, right? But when we have uh, toxic overload in our cells, either from toxicity in our environment or just our, even our own biological wastes, because our body is constantly in the process of processing hormones, processing chemicals, processing foods. And if our body isn't efficiently escorting those waste products out, then the cells can get confused. The cells can get bogged down. They get they get backlogged with work orders, essentially. And so when you keep taking these polysaccharide peptides, it basically keeps your cells turned on and functioning effectively and escorting all those toxins out so that the cells can't get confused, essentially. It keeps, it keeps it all in working order. So that's the layman's way of explaining, you know, tons of data out there about how polysaccharide peptides work. How are you sleeping? Sleep is a foundation of mental and physical health, equally important to nutrition and exercise, yet it's often the first thing to go during times of stress. Good sleep can help alleviate depression and anxiety symptoms, maintain a healthy weight and metabolism, protect your heart, and even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Yet still, a third of Americans struggle with sleep, and temperature is one of the main reasons. Before I got an eight sleep, I was already an expert in sleep hygiene and practiced what I preached to my clients. But I would still wake up overheated in the middle of the night and unable to fall back asleep for one or two hours. Adjusting the air temperature and blankets was not enough. The mattress itself was keeping me hot. But now I'm sleeping soundly through the night and waking up refreshed thanks to my eight sleep pod pro cover. The Pod Pro Cover by 8Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. The cover can adjust the temperature on each side of the bed individually for you and your partner based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. If you'd like to be more patient with your children, more emotionally stable with your partner, a fitter athlete, or more efficient at work? Take it from me, a mental health professional. Improving your sleep is one of the best investments you can possibly make in your overall well-being and the lives of everyone you touch. Go to 8sleep.com to check out the pod and use the code SOMETHERAPIST at checkout to start sleeping cool this summer with up to $200 off your purchase. Even if they're already running another sale, this code will get you an additional $50 off. And yes, to my listeners around the world, 8sleep currently ships not only within the USA, but also to Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU, and Australia. All right, now back to the show. Well, fascinating. So um, when you talk about sort of swimming in the toxic soup, um, let's just mention, um, I mean, heavy metals, right? It seems like you're talking about clearing out heavy metals. Absolutely. Endocrine disrupting chemicals from the environment. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and, I, and you've mentioned several times with uh, these medicinal mushrooms that they have benefits specifically for the nervous system, which is Absolutely. more my domain as a therapist, as the, the mind and the psyche. So um, what is it? what is this connection between all of these different types of medicinal mushrooms and the nervous system specifically? And what, what can we learn from these medicinal mushrooms and their impacts about our brain and its ability to heal itself? That's a great question. Yeah, so many of the medicinal mushrooms are in the adaptogen category. Uh, at least some people would consider them in the adaptogen category. And adaptogens, many people may know about it. it they're essentially herbs that help us adapt to whatever it is we're going through in the moment. Um, they help us adapt to extreme conditions, extreme situations. If we're you know, uh, worn out and run down and um, depleted, it can help give us energy and, and help us feel more vibrant and vital. If we're overstimulated and stressed out and like on edge, it can calm us down and kind of just bring us to a um, place of homeostasis. And that's what a lot of these medicinal mushrooms do. And some of the tonic herbs too, and shilaji too, which is something that we work with really intimately. And so in China, you know, reishi specifically is considered to be like the ultimate shen tonic. And shen in the Chinese classical, classical Chinese herbal system, it's um, kind of correlates to the brain and the mind and to our, um, our spirit in a way, or like the etheric nature of our being uh, in a way. It can get kind of esoteric, but it's also pretty rooted in reality because it does directly affect the brain and the mind, which is correlated to the stress response that we feel oftentimes, um, you know, if we can have no thought, <laughs> if we can clear our thoughts, oftentimes the anxiety and stress will be lessened. And so a lot of these medicinal mushrooms are considered to be nootropics, they're brain tonics, and they have an immediate and positive impact on cognition. So they will help promote greater memory, they'll help create greater uh, focus, just mental acuity, you know, even for people who deal with uh, like ADD or ADHD, which I mean, I was diagnosed with ADHD as a young kid and always kind of had a difficult time paying attention. And I've always found that the medicinal mushrooms help me have a deeper level of presence and help me focus more on certain things if that's really what I'm needing in the moment. So when it comes to helping relieve stress and relieve anxiety and calm the nervous system and calm the body, I think a lot of that has to do with. Uh, nourishing the brain and the way that our brain functions, helping clear toxins from the body and the brain, and then helping just create more of a stillness in in the mind. So it seems like um, cognitive function and stress and the nervous system are all like, you know, intricately linked based on our experience. You have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, it's, I love where he started to go with the tradition that he's part of. The classical tonic herbal tradition has this vision of the body, the jing, the chi, and the shen. And it's, their, it's kind of like a metaphorical teaching tool that they utilized. And the, the jing is seen as kind of like the foundational parts of the body that we're born with. It's kind of seen like as your your genetics, what you come in with. And then your chi is how your energy expresses through your genetics, 
your chi is the energy that you're capable of, you know, letting flow through your body. It's kind of like my body's the circuitry. The chi is the energy that flows through the circuitry. How well put together the circuitry is, well, you know, that can, that basically defines how well the energy is going to flow. And then shen is the light that's given off. Like, like let's pretend that the jing is me as the light bulb, right? And then the, the chi would be the electricity flowing through the light bulb and the shen is the light that's given off. It's a beautiful metaphor and they usually talk about it as a candle. Um, yeah, like, jing correlates to like the, the main organ centers, the kidneys and the liver and the bones and the structure of the body. It's considered to be like the foundational structure. So they say it's like the, the candle, the wax of the candle. And then, you know, the, the flame is, is the chi, the actual, um, you know, the burning flame is the chi, but then the light that emanates from the candle is what would be considered shen. And so shen does correlate to the brain, it correlates to the mind, but it correlates to more uh, etheric, you know, perception as well. It's kind of a metaphor for your spiritual capacity in this life, because if you feel good and you, your, your body's healthy and your energy's flowing, you can do good. You can share, you can like spread your ideas you can spread your vision you can spread your gift you can share your benefit with the rest of the world and that's really where we see you know the gift of tonic herbalism is learning how to use plants for health and wellness and inner longevity due to this longevity practice but what for it's for the attainment of long life for the attainment of wisdom so that you can share that wisdom with other people and hopefully make the world a better place. That's really like, it's a beautiful thing for me that is behind the whole tradition of classical tonic herbalism, which predates TCM and traditional Chinese medicine. It's kind of like the most ancient form of Chinese herbalism that exists. And it's pretty much the most ancient form of written herbalism on this planet. So it's pretty profound stuff. And when you look at it um, in terms of Shen, you know, it's it's a really big, broad category because you're really talking about mental, emotional, uh, psychological, spiritual experience. And that's, you know, that's your realm as a therapist. That's where you are as a Westerner, you're coming, you're, you're dissecting, you know, what, what all of these things mean and coming up with names for it. And oddly enough, there's like, you know, this whole other world where there's names for some of these things. But I think in the tradition of classical Chinese medicine, they would categorize most um, uh, mental challenges, mental problems as just like Shen disturbance. Like there's varieties and different names and categories of Shen disturbance, but I think it, most of it kind of fits into this category of Shen disturbance. And there specifically are herbs for helping people deal with Shen disturbance and helping people um, Maybe, you know, when you have a Shen imbalance, I'd love for you to talk about what you do when you have a Shen imbalance. Um, in well, oftentimes body. it involves lots of thinking. There's a lot of, lot of thought that's present and maybe recurring thoughts and cyclical thoughts and stuff that people may have a difficult time just setting aside. Or, um, oftentimes we, and myself too, will get stuck in our mind. We're stuck in our head, just thinking, 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 and there are actually herbs that help calm the mind. They still the mind, but they're not just calming and stilling the mind. They're really calming and stilling the nervous system within the whole body. And they're soothing the body and helping us generally get out of fight or flight and more into rest and repair. Right. And they also, many of them happen to be digestives. 
they're digestive tonics that also calm the belly. Because, you know, you're noticing as we get more and more into the the science of mind is that the gut and the mind is really very well connected. And there's neurons all throughout the gut that intricately and immediately respond to emotional disturbances in the mind and vice versa. So the whole body is full of neurons, webs of neurons. And when you take tonic herbs that calm your mind, you're also taking tonic herbs that usually stimulate digestion and help you just rest and digest. Yeah. And so it's like, is it even really, is it specifically calming the mind or is it calming the body and the nervous system and soothing everything? So then as a result, you're thinking less, you feel more at peace, you feel a greater stillness. And so there's less thought, there's less cyclical, um, challenging, you know, difficult mind spaces. And then along with that usually comes, because it's a classic Taoist uh, herbalist practice, there's, there's Taoist practices that probably would have come along with it as well. You know, in ancient times, if you went to a tonic herbalist for, for a Shen disturbance, you'd probably prescribe you some meditation practices as well. Probably Qigong too. Qigong and breathing practices was really um, integrated into tonic herbalism, Taoist tonic herbalism. 5,000 plus years ago. So yeah, a lot of these practices that people are beginning to do today and learn about and integrate in their life just for mental health and, um, you know, daily wellness, a lot of them are ancient and have been utilized for a long time. And so fortunately we have an immense wealth of wisdom from the past that we can draw on and uh, integrate to our daily lives today. That is a very integrative approach you're taking. You know, earlier I was pointing out that this approach, um, is sort of free of the dualism of food versus medicine instead seeing that there's a spectrum. And similarly, there's there's no clear delineation here between mind and body. Mind lives within the nervous system. The nervous system is your brain, but it's also your spinal cord, and it also goes all the way through your body. And you're talking about having the energy for the body and mind to heal and repair themselves. Um, lately, I've been doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I actually nice. just put a down payment on a chamber for my own home because it's been oh. so helpful for me with my chronic health condition. Um, for those who aren't aware, I have never been the same since I got COVID what, way over a year ago at this point. And um, so I've done a lot of different things to try to help me with that. And hyperbaric, my understanding of how that works is that it basically exceeds the uh, exceeds your red blood cells carrying capacity of oxygen to flood your cells with excess oxygen, delivering it straight into the cells where it's needed by the mitochondria to generate ATP, cellular energy. And uh, what what do, what do your cells do with ATP? They do whatever your cells need to do. So brain cells are going to do what brain cells do. But, you know, what is your liver doing, your kidneys? Any, any cell in the body has a job. And in order to do that job, it needs energy. And if there's some kind of mitochondrial dysfunction, which I have every reason to suspect I have um, as a result of my, my condition and my symptoms, then, then those processes are going to be slowed down. So then, of course, that leaves me worried about you know long-term risk of other infections, risk of cancer, risk of um, really anything because my body is just not at its most robust. And that's why I've decided to Um, you know, personally commit to this course of hyperbaric oxygen therapy because it's just such a valuable tool for nourishing the body on that level. So what you're saying really makes sense to me that if there are 
herbs and um, fungi that have a tonifying effect, whether that's through any given active ingredient. You mentioned several, the, the polysaccharides and things like this, the triterpenes, but it could be whatever bioflavonoid, whatever um, amino acid or um, who knows what that is, or an enzyme even that's in something, whatever that ad- active ingredient might be, if it's giving yourselves something that they need in order to do their job, then that's going to have an impact on the whole system. Absolutely. I think it's really awesome that you're working with oxygen in that way. Um, I've personally done intravenous ozone therapy a decent amount for some viral stuff that I had had in the past. And, um, you know, just in my research of that, learning more about it, oxygen is an incredible purifier inside the body. It helps clear free radicals from the body. It helps cleanse the body and uh, along with everything else that you shared. So I think that's awesome that you're going deeper into working with oxygen. I've talked quite a bit about mushrooms, which I know you guys love to geek out on and you have so much knowledge of. Um, And before we depart from the subject of mushrooms, the two of you actually helped me understand something years ago. And I want I want to give you an opportunity to clarify that again, because I am one of a handful of people in this world that has a mushroom allergy, um, meaning that there are certain edible mushrooms that people consume in foods that I had enough bad experiences um, starting at some point in my twenties, it just came on all of a sudden. I didn't have it before, but at some point in my twenties, I started having, um, basically a really painful digestive reaction to, um, mushrooms and to broccoli. Strangely enough, no other brassicas. I can eat kale, cauliflower, <laughs> cabbage. I can eat all those things, but not broccoli and not broccoli mushrooms. So I mushrooms. figure it's maybe so good together. Huh? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> Thanks. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I don't have a problem with broccoli and mushrooms. They have a problem with me. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I remember at some point talking to you guys about this and you had clarified that there are actually two different categories of mushrooms and that most edible ones fall into one, most medicinal into another. Can you explain that for anyone else out there who, like me, has some kind of bad digestive reaction to the edible mushrooms? Sure. Yeah. I'll probably let Jen take it to be quite honest because she's so knowledgeable I'm a total about it. mushroom nerd in the family there, there's the there's the polypore category and then the more edible mushroom category and most of the medicinal mushrooms we work with whether it's chaga reishi turkey tail royal sun agaricus um, honestly pretty much all of them like i said we use pure fruiting body mushrooms that have been dual extracted um, so they have the optimal potency but they're polypores and they're usually hardwood growing mushrooms. So they grow on trees, they grow on dead wood. Yeah, most of the ones that we uh, source are polypores. The ones that are not polypores uh, are technically the agaricus and uh, maitake and lion's mane is kind of, it's, it's a poured fungus, but it's a toothed fungus. So it's a little bit different. And those all have uh, the capacity to be, to be eaten. Um, whereas the polypores like turkey tail, reishi, uh, mesema, chaga, they are like hard bark-like bracts that lignin. grow on wood and they have, they're full of lignin. And so th- this is a protein that is completely inedible and you cannot eat raw chaga. If the reishi mushroom is growing and it's white, you can eat the fresh margin of the white reishi mushroom, but you have to cut that off and cook it. That's the only way you can eat it. 
But um, if you if you want to get the medicine out of it, you have to extract it. When you extract it, you're not extracting the proteins. You're extracting the polysaccharides. It's the water-soluble components, which are usually the polysaccharides and um, lots of other wonderful compounds, you know, antioxidants and things that are along with, come along with water solubles. And then you also get the flavor with the water solubles usually. And then you get the triterpenes from the alcohol extraction. And those are also more aromatic flavor profiles too. If there's any other, like, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Essential oils or things that are in the mushrooms. Like for instance, chaga has vanilla, vanillin, it's related to vanilla and it has this gorgeous flavor and that comes out in the alcohol. So anyways, these things are completely digestible. It's not protein. Uh, when you eat a fleshy mushroom, like a portobello mushroom or a baby portobello that they put in salad, which by the way, you should cook those. You should not eat raw mushrooms. Just heads up. There's very few mushrooms out there that should be eaten raw. And if you eat them raw, they have a kind of not so positive reaction in the gut oftentimes for some people, but even if they don't have gastrointestinal distress, they can cause like a breakdown into a toxic chemical. So you don't want to eat raw baby portobellos, raw, raw mushrooms. If you can get away with it, don't do it. Um, but when you eat those, you're usually what people who are allergic to those kinds of mushrooms, when they're eating mushrooms and they're getting sick or they're having gastrointestinal distress, it's because of the protein. They can't digest the protein. And, you know, that's pretty common. There's, it's fairly common. It's one of the more like, I mean, we've run into a lot of people in our time who've said we can't eat mushrooms. And then we give them an extract of reishi because it's only sugars and volatile, uh, airborne compounds, you know, it's, a, it's essential oils and sugars, essentially it doesn't have any of the protein compounds in it. Those are totally doable for most people. I have still not ever heard anything from anybody ever saying I'm actually allergic to reishi mushroom extract. I've never once heard that. We've never, never experienced someone who had a mushroom allergy take the polypore extracts, whether it's a hot water extract or dual extract, and have a, an adverse reaction. So it's, it's cool. They're pretty um, accessible to young children, to old adults. And that's another factor of tonic herbs is that they are safe and effective to be consumed on the daily by anyone, no matter the age, whether a young child, whether they're a young child or, you know, a 90 year old person. And a lot of these people in Asia will take tonic herbs as they start to get older. I mean, if they're fortunate and they're, they've learned about it, then they'll take them right when they start learning about them and hopefully for as long of their life as possible. But oftentimes it's common for people to start taking them in there, uh, you know, as they start to get older to help, help their body maintain vitality and into old age. Earlier, you mentioned that you sell Shilajit, and I have mm -hmm. a vague recollection of a uh, time we crossed paths years ago that you shared some of this stuff with me. I don't think most people have heard of Shilajit, and it's a pretty unusual substance. So can yeah, you fill probably, us in? Yeah. Oh, boy, I get excited about Shilajit. It's one of our favorite things. We work really intimately with it, and we've seen it produce just immense and profound benefits for so many different people, including ourselves. Um, I was having really serious I was raw vegan for a period of time and it actually damaged me. Uh, I would not suggest raw veganism personally. I've never met a raw vegan or even just a vegan that has been vegan for more than three to four years and has like a robust health. Usually people can handle it for a couple of years and they start to go downhill. But after having lost four teeth, you know, I started eating meat again and I stopped losing my teeth. And then I also worked with Shilajit to help remineralize my teeth and my bones and 
just give myself those essential minerals that I really needed. So it was really impactful for me. Um, but we've seen incredible results. We've seen women who were infertile take the shilajit that we produce and within three to four weeks spontaneously get pregnant. It's happened on two occasions. And it was actually inconvenient for them, but incredible, incredible thing to occur. Um, so yeah, so PSA, shilajit increases fertility. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> so we can, we can talk warned. about that. <laughs> okay. But warned. what is shilajit? Yeah. Yeah. Getting there. So, so shilajit is a mineral resin. It's basically like the technical term, technical term. It's a mineral resin. So uh, shilajit was found. It, shilajit is a term from Ayurvedic medicine, from the Indian herbal tradition. And it's been used for about 3000 years in Ayurvedic medicine. And the way it was found is the, uh, Ayurvedic doctors noticed that there was these monkeys that would make a pilgrimage up the mountain every year during the summer months, and they would lick the rocks, and they would eat this black resinous stuff off the rocks. And they found that those monkeys would live 30 to 40 years longer than the lowland monkeys. So they found a way to gather this mineral resin, rock resin, as some people may call it, and found a way to purify it because it's got microbes, it's got sediment, and you know it's in the elements up on high mountain cliffs, and it's difficult to gather. Like it's oftentimes requires repelling and scaling cliffs, and it actually oozes out of crevices in rocks in specific areas. So they found a way to purify it and make this credible, quote-unquote, medicine with it. They consider it a medicine, and it's been used as a panacea in their herbal tradition. And oftentimes it was used in moments when nothing else would work. Um, it's To them, an Ayurvedic doctor, I'm not saying this, but Ayurvedic doctors would maybe say that it's a quote unquote, cure all or heal all. That's kind of how they would talk about it. And so um, fortunately, mineral resin can be found all throughout the world. It's also found in Russia. It's known as mamillo in Russia. It also has been found in South America. And we began finding mineral resin, rock resin here in the United States. And so it's been really special. We've gotten a chance to harvest it ourselves over the past six, seven years and, and purify it ourselves and make a the cleanest shilajit that we've ever seen, no detectable lead, mercury, or cadmium, really small amounts of naturally occurring arsenic that's 100 times lower than um, Prop 65, like California standards. And uh, I feel like I kind of want to do a contest because if we compared our shilajit labs to other shilajit labs, we might win. I've never seen a cleaner lab. I feel like um, this, but- this needs needs more. <laughs> so the two of you, adventurous spirits that you are, found a place where there's a resin coming out of a rock and you're like let's test this to see if it might be like shilajit well that I sounds studied, like a story i yeah well <laughs> we do want to make a documentary about it yeah, we've pretty been wild. documenting our journey and we are probably going to make a documentary in time about it i have been studying shilajit quite a bit for years and i had taken it a decent amount and so shilajit it's considered to be one of the prime adaptogens. There's eight prime adaptogens. Shilajit is one of the main ones, and it's used to help purify the body, detoxify the liver, um, tonify the kidneys. It's used to help increase energy and stamina and endurance. It's considered to be an athletic tonic, and people will use it for recovery after extreme workouts and also to help you know, push the levels of just uh, you know, extreme activity, whatever people may be doing. It's kind of a performance enhancing essence. And, um, and then also it's used to purify, purify the body and as a cognitive enhancing essence. It's used actually in Alzheimer's because it helps remove heavy metals from the brain. 
Um, so it's super neat because it, it helps purify the cells, but then it simultaneously replenishes them with this very comprehensive mineral profile that's essential for the body. So it's got 85 trace minerals in ionic form, plus it has high amounts of fulvic acid, usually 20% or more fulvic acid, and then about 1% humic acid, which I don't know if you know much about those, and we can go into more detail about fulvic and humic if you like. Um, but an authentic shilajit will have about 20% or more fulvic and, it, and at least 1% humic, or around 1%, and then the 85 trace minerals. So we began finding this mineral resin um, on our adventures through the woodlands and through the forest and through the mountains. And we knew instantaneously that it was shilajit. That it, well, shilajit is actually a unique combination of the mineral resin with bringharaj and trifala, and they brew it together in the purification process to use- Yeah, it's the Indian tradition. It's the Indian tradition. So that's why they call it mamiyu in Russia. It's purified a little bit differently. Every culture that made, um, you know, a tonic- extract from it had different processing methods. And today, so I studied spagyric medicine for years and the alchemical tradition and ways to access all of the beneficial compounds of plants. Um, and spagyric, in essence, it's just you're, you're getting more of what the plant has to offer by incinerating the body of the plant and, and purifying the plant salts and then producing these salt crystals and then adding it back to the original tincture it was made. And so it's a way to offer more of what the plant or essence has to offer. Um, so through that process, I learned about advanced laboratory work and um, just various, various purification methods. So we were able to apply my training with spagyric essences and lab setups with new and advanced purification techniques, and then apply that to the purification process of the shilajit to produce a North American harvested mineral resin that has a purity of shilajit that we've never seen anywhere. And for me, that was a, one of the reasons why I did not source it and purvey it through Chintamani, because oftentimes they have high levels of heavy metals and they're coming from places that we don't really know about. And oftentimes it's been over harvested. It's yeah. been so, so revered for so long that in some places they'll scrape the rocks to try and get it um, when there's not even really any left, because it's a very rare mineral. Resin. And, and most of it is exported from the Himalayas. That's mm -hmm. where most shilaji comes from. Most people didn't have a clue that shilaji was found in other parts of the world. They thought it was really only indigenous to the Himalayas, but and it's so not true. That, it's everywhere. And so I guess people are probably wondering what is shilaji. And so what it is, as far as our, our understanding and the current research that, that's out there, is that it's ancient humified forests. So if you can think about giant forests during the time of the dinosaurs and all those big trees and plants um, getting broken down in the soil over thousands of years. So um, all the minerals that were contained in those giant trees and plants, basically filtering through the earth's crust and the most water soluble minerals will filter through. And then as they hit an impermeable layer of rock in certain elevation, it will start to ooze out striations and cracks in in the cliffs of certain areas. And then that's the beginning of its exit back into the world. And it will nourish all the plant life and animals um, as it moves out and moves down the mountains and animals will flock to it and eat it. And yeah, you can always see if you find a deposit of it somewhere, it will always be surrounded by, you know, deer. Sign of animals. You know? Deer will come to the rocks and lick it like a salt lick because yeah. it does, it does taste I think um, I've never tried the raw stuff, and it's not a good idea to try all the raw stuff. The raw stuff because it's uh, it's 
it's toxic in well, a way there's because microbes. there's microbes and there's things that you shouldn't and be and eating. Sprouts. You don't just eat dirt, you know? So you have to purify, some kids the, do. you know, yeah, some kids do eat dirt and maybe it's good for them. But um, you, you want to purify Sheila G to get any of the potentially harmful microbes or other heavy metals possibly out of it. Because it is an earth, it's an earth extract in a way. I like to think about it as mother nature's own herbal extract that she oozes out of her own little mountainous still for us to gather. It's a truly rare and very precious essence. And it's not that common. It's difficult to acquire. It's hard to find. And it's even hard if, to purify once you do find true. it, you know? And, and even if it, it is found, usually there's not a lot of it. And it's a, um, it's essential for the ecosystem. So we we're really conscientious about how we gather it and we will only get maybe five to 10%, 15% of what, what we find. And we just leave the rest for the animals and for nature. Um, and it's, it's an incredible thing to come to us at this time in history because we're so inundated by toxicity and poisons, whether it be in our food, in our water, in the air, in our environment, um, in the body products that we use in the beds that we have, the couches, like you name it, we're surrounded by all kinds of poisons and it's difficult for the body to remove them. So I feel like it's this incredible gift from the universe and from nature for us at a very critical moment in time where the human genome could be very negatively impacted by toxicity for the long term. However, we've been gifted this incredible essence from the earth to help purify our bodies and remineralize our bodies so that we can be at optimal health. So the Sheila G-like substance that you found uh, here in the U.S., you said you you decided not to make it one of your products with Chintamani tonic, so you just use it for yourself? Or? Never... I didn't want to purvey Sheila G because we were needing to import it from the Himalayas, and I, I usually there was high heavy metal content in the labs, Like, and I just didn't want to be purveying something that had heavy metals. So um, it took us finding it ourselves, purifying it ourselves. And getting lab results that were absolutely pristine for us to feel really good about purveying it, but then also our own direct experience working with it and then the way we saw it benefit our clients. And so we've been producing it and purveying it for, I guess, like about seven years now, wow. six and a half, almost seven years. And it's one of the main things we work with. We distribute it wholesale. So we have a number of clients, maybe four to four to seven main clients that buy kilograms of it from us and they make products wow. with it. Uh, make different solution bottles or they'll put it into different products. Um, so we do sell at retail, but I would say the majority of it that we distribute is wholesale volume and half kilo or kilo volume. But you can find our Sheila Jeep. Yeah, I was going to say you can find our Sheila Jeep at wildamericansheilajeet.com. Cool. We'll make sure that that goes into the show notes. Yeah. Um, and St- Stephanie, what you were saying um, sounds like nature's. Oh, it's like nature's multivitamin, multimineral supplement. Hundred percent. It's like just all all of the minerals that are part of the earth and soil and forest and decaying bones and everything just like oozing into this concentrated earth mineral stuff. And then you make sure that you have purified of it, it of any heavy metals, microbes, anything like that. So you're really just getting like, yeah, it sounds like nature's multivitamin. Yeah, and it's all fully water soluble, which is cool. You know, so yeah. we have it in a purified great. resin form, and that's. Sometimes Shilajit connoisseurs will like to eat the the 
you know, it's kind of like a gooey honey-like consistency and they like to eat it yeah, it's a that thick way. black tar. Yeah, I but mean, you've from never what I seen it. That's what it looks like. I think I tried some from you guys years it's ago intense. and it was The flavor gross. is intense. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's intense. powerful. It is definitely <laughs> a one of those connoisseur things, you know, an acquired taste. An acquired taste. Um, we do product, we do mix it into a solution. So we'll take six grams of the resin and put it in a one ounce dropper bottle so that you can just take like 15 drops, dilute it in water further. If you want to dilute it even further, it's a really great way to just add minerals to your drinking water because so many of us use uh, water purification systems that even sometimes will grab the minerals out of water. And it's really great to make sure that if you're, if you're drinking like reverse osmosis water, you want to put minerals back into it if you can. So just using a couple drops of our Shilajit every day in your water can really help with remineralizing water, which is great. It's another aspect of health that is really important. Yeah. So the Shilajit's a really significant aspect of our work and what we do. And we've really dedicated a lot of time to you know, all aspects of its purification and then distribution and um, sharing it. And we've got lots of information online. You know, we link to various scientific studies if people want to like, go deeper into how Shilaji has been studied and how it's been shown to benefit the body. And it also, Stephanie, you were talking about harmonizers. I feel like Shilaji is probably the ultimate harmonizer that I personally have come in contact with. We use various harmonizers, Chinese licorice, longanberry, purple mulberry, Jujube date. I use Chen P, which is an aged tangerine peel. Uh, we use goji berry, and you know, there's a few others. Cinnamon. Although Shilajit, I find is the ultimate harmonizer and and also a potentiator. So it helps increase the absorption and overall efficacy of whatever supplement it's being consumed with. And for that reason, in Tibetan medicine, they use it in every Tibetan herbal preparation and formulation in most of the herb shops there. And they press them into these little pills. They call them magic medicine pills or precious different pills. things, precious pills. And it's basically a combination of various herbs, whether it's medicinal or tonic, they use the herbs and they'll use oftentimes like um, ghee or some kind of fat, a little bit of fat, maybe they'll even use like yak butter or something. And then they put the shilajit in there to help it kind of be sticky and stick together, but also for the potentiating benefits of Shilajit. As a therapist, I've gotten an up-close and personal view at what people tend to struggle with day in and day out. Turns out, it's almost universal that we know we should be taking better care of ourselves in terms of the basic building blocks of well-being, like diet and exercise. But as valuable as it is for our mental and physical health to change our lifestyle habits, it's also much easier said than done. People often set goals that are too lofty, only to feel even worse about themselves when their aspirations inevitably fail. That's why I recommend starting with positive changes that are as simple as possible. Enter my new favorite beverage line. Organifi makes it so easy to improve your nutrition and start feeling better right now with refreshing plant-based blends of superfoods and adaptogens that you can just mix with water. My personal favorite is their green juice. It contains moringa, ashwagandha, chlorella, spirulina, wheatgrass, beets, turmeric, mint, lemon, and coconut water. 100% organic with no added sugar. And it tastes great. My family loves Organifi Gold, which promotes relaxation and restful sleep, served mixed with warm almond milk before bed. Organifi also makes several other powerful blends, all organic and loaded with vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients, anti-inflammatory herbs, and adaptogens. 
For less than $3 and 3 grams of sugar per serving, you can start giving your cells the support they need to manage stress and feel good. Check out their product line at Organifi.com. That's spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And use promo code SOMETHERAPIST to get 20% off your entire order. Your whole body will thank you. All right, so let's talk about herbs for a moment. We've talked about mushrooms, shilajit, which is a fascinating story. I mean, most people have never heard of this, and and it's just got to be mind-blowing to to <laughs> even think about this approach to nutrition, um, that, that you can kind of get this, like, earth sap. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when it comes to the herbal stuff, and just kind of go- going back to this idea of food being your medicine, I'm thinking about berries as an example. If we think about berries, we're all used to eating store-bought berries. And we know that they're rich in phytonutrients, um, antioxidants, things like that. Um, but then I think about the connections between the, the berries that we're used to eating, which are you know, relatively nutrient-dense foods as far as things that you can get in a supermarket, um, and but also their, their relatives and their ancestors in nature. So like blueberries, for instance. Blueberries are closely related to huckleberries, which being the sort of wilder variety are probably going to have more uh, nutrient density. And then in that same family, you have what, bilberry and um, uva ursi and and you start, you know, getting into um, like bearberry and, and all these things in the, I'm thinking Aracaceae family now, I'm thinking back to my uh, ethnobotany training from so many years ago. Right? Great. And, you got it all. and it's like the, the wilder you get, uh, or the more the, the berry itself is kind of like um, fibrous and tart as opposed to sweet and juicy and plump, um, the more you're getting into something having maybe more value in terms of its phytonutrients than in terms of just its calories. And Absolutely. so when we think back to more kind of ancestral ways of living and, and how the human body evolved and adapted, it was in an environment where seasonally we were probably eating lots of these really nutrient-dense berries. Or then in the spring, um, when greens are coming up, if we think about something like spinach, well, it's very nutrient-dense, um, healthy food that you can get in a supermarket. But how much more nutrient-dense is the wild version of that? And right. the, you know, the minerals that that might have been getting uh, if it was able to send its roots down deep in that environment. Um, mm-hmm. So I just kind of want to broaden the, the way of thinking about how we nourish ourselves with food and herbs. And then I wanted to also invite the two of you to kind of give us like a day in the life of Deej and Jen, because I am picturing what you might eat. And I'm, I'm thinking about this time that I um, form, formed a little friendship with a uh, a Chinese woman who um, shared this like uh, porridge that she'd made with me that had like jujubes and um, goji berries and medicinal herbs and things like this. And it's like, this is kind of like a dessert. It's kind of like a treat, but it's also got these kind of um, tonic herbs in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, so like Deej and Jen wake up in the morning and what do they eat and drink and how do you go about your day? And, and what is that... Um, intersection of food and medicine look like in your daily life? Sure. I think what she let you try is called kanji. Yeah. 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 Kanji. I love kanji. I love kanji. Yeah. It's a super nutritive healing food in the Chinese system, kind of similar to 
to kitchery. It's different than kitchery, but they use it similarly to kitchery where they'll only eat that for periods of time. Like if they're, you know, someone is trying to recover from some kind of sickness or just try and stay healthy, they'll maybe do like a kanji cleanse where they only take kanji for, you know, 24, 48 hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in regards to, you know, herbs and medicinal mushrooms and berries and plants in nature versus cultivation, most certainly in nature, they'll have higher concentrations of all the things that we're seeking from, from the, whatever it is we're wanting to consume. And, um, you know, it's a combination of the soil, like really intact soil, you know, that hasn't been, uh, depleted through farming, you know, unhealthy farming practices. And then also a lot of those nutrients that are passed on from plants to people, they develop in the plant over time. And it has to do with the age of the plant. And it has to do with um, what kind of elements it's been exposed to. So for instance, with ginseng, the ginsengs that are most revered are ones that are older, you know, 10 years, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And as they live, they have to deal with extreme cold, extreme heat. They have to deal with pests. They have to deal with all kinds of things, trying to eat them. And so they develop these protective compounds within them. And then as we consume those, you know, older versions, those protective compounds are passed on to our bodies. And so generally, we can get herbs that are wildcrafted or semi-wild grown they will be more potent and have just a more direct transmission of what nature is offering. Um, and interestingly well, let enough, let me just explain that for, for people who, cause you guys have been in this world for a while and, and just for people who are totally unfamiliar to this stuff to, to understand what you're saying, I just want to break it down. Sure. Um, you're talking about the plant's immune system, sure. right? And, and so I think a lot of people aren't aware, for example, that essential oils, which we use for fragrance, are the plant's immune system, right? So when a plant creates um, the the smell of lavender or rosemary or an orange peel or anything like that, it is um, sort of a compound that the plant makes, as you're saying, to protect itself Mm -hmm. from predators or pests or uh, fungi or things like this, right? Yeah, it's defensive. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know that, um, but it's but it's interesting. Nature's kind of chemical warfare because uh, those of us on on two legs or four legs, we have limbs. We can we can fight, we can flee. Um, mm. But plants, they're stuck in place. So mm-hmm. how are they going to defend themselves? Um, well, it's through chemical warfare, and so a lot of the things that we use as medicine and that also have, you know, toxic properties if taken in the wrong. Um, situation or wrong quantity, it is the plant's immune system that you're dealing with. And I just want to kind of clarify that for people who might not have gotten that part. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, you know, I'm thinking about rhodiola, rosé. We didn't talk that much about herbs. There's some herbs that I really love. Rhodiola, rosé is is a great one. I work with it infrequently because it's just so potent. It's got a super strong flavor. But, you know, if someone did come to me with a specific condition, then it may be an appropriate one for them. Um, but rhodiola was found in the like 40s or 50s by the uh, Russian military. And they were doing research, well, in Siberia specifically, they were doing research on what their military could use at higher elevation to more effectively adapt to those extreme conditions. And they started asking around, they asked these indigenous people who lived really high up in the mountains. And they said, oh, well, we 
take this mountain route. And that was the first time that the term adaptogen was created. And um, so rhodiola was the original first adaptogen. Uh, and what they found is that it helps. So it, it exists in really high elevation. Same with cordyceps sinensis. And in order for them to exist at that high elevation, they have to metabolize oxygen differently. So whatever they produce in order to metabolize oxygen more effectively, when that is consumed by us, it transfers to us and then it helps us oxygenate our lungs and our body more effectively. So that's one of the reasons oh, why both cordyceps and rhodiola are used as adaptogens and to increase stamina and endurance because they help our lungs absorb more oxygen, get more oxygen in the blood. And then they can also be considered to be cognition enhancers because they're helping us get more oxygen in the brain as well. So just another example of plants or medicinal mushrooms in nature, the compounds that they produce to exist in the wild and then how those can be transferred to us uh, for beneficial. Very cool. And will, will you do the, those two, those two could be helpful for you as well with, you know, just trying to oxygenate your blood more on a daily basis, taking cordyceps in is the act, active ingredient cordyceps that's been found to increase Cordycepin. Uh, Cordycepin. It increases the activity of ATP and it makes your blood more oxygenated. So it could it could be helpful. So and then um, you wanted to hear the life in the day. I want to hear a day in the life. Yeah, we have about five more minutes, and I, no, I really want a, a little window into your world. So we start off our day by drinking pu'er tea pretty much every morning. We're sitting at our tea table now. I could hold down and mm -hmm. show you if you want. Um, so we. I have a little bit of a later schedule because I work in with people in China. So I start talking to people around 11, midnight, one, two in the morning. And oh, that's wow. what my work entails because the people that I source herbs from and, and work with importations, um, you know, work on importations with, uh, that's the time that I talk to them. So I end up going to bed a little later than most people. So I'll wake up, you know, like 10 30 most mornings, sometimes 11. I have a different schedule. I've kind of accepted that for myself. I do feel like I'm missing out on sunlight in the morning because I feel like sunlight's really beneficial for setting our circadian rhythm. And so that's something that I personally feel that in time I would like to change. But um, so we, you know, late morning, we'll start having a tea session. We'll just sit and sip pu'er for an hour or two. Um, and pu'er is basically green tea for someone who doesn't know what pu'er is. It's basically a type of green tea. It is Camellia sinensis that's been aged for a period of time to change the caffeine structure and change the flavor profiles and make it more balanced in its energetics and the way that it affects the body. Um, we really love Puer and we've been drinking it for years. So we'll sit and have tea together and just kind of snuggle and, you know, maybe respond to messages on our phone or, you know, respond to emails or just research things that we're interested in. Jen will do art sometimes and mm -hmm. then... Oh, we just start working. We we're at home most of the time working. Um, as far as food goes, um, oh yeah, you're asking about food. Yeah, we actually have recently been doing a lot of intermittent fasting because we, we probably don't live a different. Or five in the we live a different schedule and a different life than most people. We don't have kids, so we don't have somebody at like six a.m. who needs to get fed. And so we often, because of the, our ages, I'm now forty, and you're. 38. Our bodies have changed. Our metabolism has changed. So we've been doing a lot of intermittent fasting and finding that it works really well for us. So we usually don't even eat food until like mid-afternoon, sometimes evening at the earliest. But when we were eating breakfast all the time, we oftentimes did make something that was very similar to kanji. We would make tonic oats 
in the morning and we would just use our yeah we'd uh, add goji berries and shizandra berries and we would add jujube dates sometimes as well and um you know sometimes simmer. tonic herbs that we had just powdered you know or something like that simmer that a little bit so we'd start with a little bit of a tonic herb infused oatmeal which and then is add nice we'd thing. add ghee to it ghee and coconut oil sometimes and sometimes moringa the magical plant moringa because if you're gonna do any one green thing in your mornings i highly recommend moringa moringa is probably the most nutrient-dense leaf that exists and it's super comprehensive in its benefits. Those are the things that we've always been drawn to is something that's really broad in its nutrient profile, like shilajit or like Moringa and um, can be taken on its own as a multivitamin in a way. Um, so yeah, we integrate Moringa when we can. And then when it comes to eating food, if I'm eating a steak and potatoes and a big salad, uh, I'm as happy as can be. I think our favorite meals, though, are always when we use our wild-crafted mushrooms because, you know, we we import mushrooms from China. Those are the tonics that most of the tonics that we sell online are imported. But we do forage a lot for our own stuff. We don't sell our foraged stuff because we don't forage enough in order to sell. But we love our porcini meals that we have with all of our dried bolis from last season. We just recently made some pasta with those the other night. It was fantastic. And whenever we can, um, I mean, we used to have a garden when we lived in Oregon and I was growing the vast majority of our greens and I was really interested in growing like the dark leafy greens, all the different ones that I could get my hands on. I'm all about heirloom seeds. So we were growing like Mizuna and uh, curly crest and dark Asian leafy red greens and uh, Shungiko, which is a flowering chrysanthemum that you can eat the greens of that tastes a lot like an arugula. And Did you say shisho, purple shisho? Shisho, purple shisho, my favorite little Asian basil that's beautiful and purple and extra minty and lots of fresh herbs. Um, at this point in time, we have a garden at DJ's parents' house that we can use, and we do have quite an awesome perennial herb garden in there right now. We don't have a lot of annuals going, so we're not growing a lot of our own food right now, which is kind of sad because we it's do something gather, that we love to do. We do gather all of our spring water and we only drink spring water, whether it be in our tea in the morning or we cook with it and whether we're, we're making rice or um, you know whatever it is that's on the stove, we're using spring water and we have an amazing spring. So for anyone, if you live around Alabama, or in the area and you want to go to a really good spring, there's one in Prattville near Montgomery. It's uh, on Doster Road and it's this artesian well in the city actually made it really accessible to everyone. It's totally free. They built this beautiful pagoda over it and it is a truly deep artesian well and it's pristine water. Uh, It's the best spring water that I feel like I've ever gathered and we would gather spring water on the 26th outside of Portland all the time when we lived on the coast and that was our main water source. That one got a little bit over overflowing with people at a certain period of time. There's always a line. So we'd have to go at night. Uh, Two years ago is when we moved away from Oregon. But for that whole four year period in Oregon, we get water there. And it's still great, but it's just, you know, highly sought out by people. So it's kind of busy. I'm a big fan of drinking delicious water. We recently invested in a Berkey filter and I'm I'm so happy with it. Like the water just tastes so good. And it's good good to know that I have a filter that like in the event of some kind of disaster this filter will still work um we can um, we can back up Berkey's we've had Berkey's for about 10 years now and they're amazing if we ever have a moment where we need to drink you know water from the tap it's perfect it totally removes everything that we would want it to and yeah for just overall the minerals 
it keeps minerals and yeah, just for overall um, survival potential, you mm. know, uh, emergency use. It's a perfect thing. So um, you guys make custom formulations for we your do. clients. Uh, so yeah. tell people where they can find you and what all you're available for. I know you just shifted over to Twitter. That's where most of my following is on the internet. So I'm mm -hmm. happy to encourage people to follow you on Twitter. Tell people all the places they can find you and the things that they can turn to you for help with. Sure thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're not really engaged with social media much at all. Um, I'm on Twitter just personally. I have like 25 or 30 followers. I follow way more people and it's just me personally. We don't have a Chintamani. I just started one today. <laughs> just started one. So we'll, we'll get a Chintamani <laughs> well, Twitter. Don't discourage people if they want to follow you. Yeah. Where can they I mean, find you guys you? should totally follow You're us on Twitter. Follow. You could be the first <laughs> follower. <laughs> okay. We're, I think we I'm are... your first follower. Oh, but, uh... <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, so I craft customized tonic herbal formulas for uh, various clients who have various health concerns. Most of the people are dealing with cancer concerns or Lyme disease or autoimmune challenges, or they're dealing with menopause. Um, most of the people are women. I'm mostly probably like 70, 80% women that I formulate for and then reformulate for. And um, that's really how Chintamani Tonics got started is I began uh, having people request that I make custom formulas for them. and that and then there became a need for us to create an apothecary and expand the apothecary so that we could have access to all those different extracts more efficiently and um, just make them more accessible to the people I was working with. And so um, it's mostly referral based. It's mostly mostly people saying, "Hey, I worked with this person and we had these benefits. I think this could work for you." So people seek us out, which I feel really grateful for. Although we do at this time have the capacity to take on new clients and work with people who may have some health challenges that they can't get to the bottom of. And a lot of the people have done everything they can um, with every modality that they've known about and just not really found success. And so they come to us, maybe just wanting to learn more about, you know, healthy lifestyle practices, um, different herbs, different tonics, different essences, things that they could integrate on their own, and just to help them create more robust health and more vitality. So we're definitely available for crafting custom formulas if people need them. And yeah, we have a beautiful website that Jen built and um, she manages and uh, I'm, I'm super available. People can text me directly if they want, they can email us. We're here to help anyone that needs help. So they can find you at chintamanitonics.com. Mm -hmm. I will put that in the show notes mm -hmm. and also on Twitter at chintamanitonics. And um, you also said that you have wildamericansheilajit.com. So I'll make sure yes. that that goes in the show notes as well. It's really Love good it. to catch up with you guys. So Me fun too, to have Stephanie. old friends on the show and to talk to a couple and branch out and talk about something a little, a little different. Um, I really hope that this was eye-opening and mind-expanding for at least some of our listeners to just be a little bit more open to nature's apothecary. And uh, thank you again, Deej and Jen, for sharing your knowledge base with us today. Absolutely our pleasure. Thank you, Stephanie, for holding this space and sharing with uh, with your community. I love it. It's Super grateful. It's been really fun to hang out with you. I miss you. <laughs> yeah, we're so grateful for what you're doing with the community and the way you are just speaking confidently to what you feel is true and um, you know, just really being a like firm voice for people, people to make, you know, long-term healthy decisions for themselves and their family and their community. And I just really commend you for speaking up. And a lot of people might be afraid to speak up and a lot of people might deal with challenging backlash or controversial stuff. And 
I just am super proud of you for what you've done, what you're doing. And um, I'm really, you know, grateful and honored for the chance to be on your podcast. So thanks for having us. Well, on that note, if any of our listeners are in that camp of people who have been physically harmed or just really stressed out by all the stuff that we talk about on my podcast, go turn to DJ and Jen for help uh, getting your nervous system back on track with some <laughs> Happy <support>. to help. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast. To check out my book recommendations, articles, wellness products, guest episodes on other podcasts, consulting services, and lots more, visit sometherapist.com or follow me on Twitter or Instagram at sometherapist. If you'd like to go deeper, join my community at somekindoftherapist.locals.com. Members can dialogue with other listeners, post questions for upcoming podcast guests to respond to, or ask questions for me to respond to in exclusive members-only Q&A live streams. To learn more about the gender crisis, watch our film, No Way Back, The Reality of Gender-Affirming Care, at nowaybackfilm.com. Special thanks to my producers, Eric and Amber Beals at Different Mix, and to Joey Pecorero for our theme song, Half Awake. If you appreciate this podcast and want more people to find it, kindly take a moment to rate, review, like, comment, and share on your platforms of choice. Of course, just because I am some therapist doesn't mean I'm your therapist. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. If you need help, ask your doctor or browse your local therapists online. And whatever you do next, please take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, move your body, get outside, and tell someone you love them. You're worth it.